Welcome to Real Clear Politics. I'm A.B. Stoddard, and with me today is Donna Rubin. She is the author of a new book from Real Clear Publishing entitled Speaking While Female, a collection and commentary on 75 extraordinary speeches by American women. Donna, welcome to Real Clear Politics. Thank you. Before you celebrated these 75 speeches in a book, you endeavored to search for and assemble a body of law speeches uh, and organize them for posterity. Can you start from the beginning? What was the catalyst for launching both of these projects? Well, the project actually began about, I'd say, four years ago. I've been in the speech world and the world of oratory or rhetoric. I'm a speech writer, a speaking coach, and a speaker. And it began to dawn on me. I just began to notice with increasing annoyance and irritation that I was constantly seeing references to Winston Churchill. That was that was really the beginning. Now, to be clear, I'm a big fan of Winston Churchill's rhetoric. Um, he was a, a really astonishing orator in his place and time. But it occurred to me that the preponderance of references to him were a bit out of kilter. In fact, parenthetically, half the references to him or the quotations weren't even his quote at all. People constantly attribute comments to him that he never made. But the fact is that I began to wonder why were we constantly referring to this um, British orator when we have a whole range of American oratory to choose from. And then the next thought, of course, was what about the women? So then I, that started me down, um, down the research hole, I would say. And you, this is the largest, your database is um, the largest uh, online collection of women's speeches, transcripts, video, and some recorded sound. The Speaking While Female Speech Bank, how did that evolve into um, choosing 75 and turning that into a book? Well, it really was a process that took place over some years. My first impulse, of course, was just to to prove the Churchill quoters wrong. And then, of course, I started thinking about the American men that are in the so-called canon, right? The canon that we think of the great lionized speakers, the Patrick Henrys, the Abraham Lincolns, Frederick Douglass, um, Martin Luther King, JFK, RFK, even Billy Graham and Ronald Reagan constantly hearing accolades accorded to these male speakers. And very seldom, very seldom do we hear women's speeches incorporated into the narrative of American history. The few examples, uh, the few exceptions might be Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony. Maybe occasionally someone might remember Helen Keller or more recently a Shirley Chisholm or Anita Hill. Um, but in general, we have cultural amnesia with regard to women speakers. So I first created this speech bank. And yes, it is the largest online repository of women's speeches. But out of those thousands of speakers um, but given by women around the world and across time, I decided to cull from them uh, and a collection of American women speakers, a collection that began with the very origins of our nation um, back to the, you know, the, the Puritan era, the 1600s to the present. 
So that that was first step was to collect all the speeches I could get my hands on, historic speeches, and then to call from those a selection that told the story of the creation and the formation of our nation. So who were the first women speakers in America and, and what were the things that they spoke about? The earliest speakers that we know of in America were without doubt indigenous women. Now, many um, indigenous cultures were not what we would call literate. They didn't have a, a written language, but of course they had a very um, long, uh, august oral tradition. And in many of their communities, they were matrilineal or else they held women in very high esteem within their communities. Women held positions of political power, communal power. Very often women would serve in negotiations between intra-tribal or when the uh, Western um, uh, settlers came, they would serve in treaty negotiations. And the earliest recorded speeches we have or oral speech we have is from those, those encounters. But of course, there are many hundreds, if not thousands that we don't have because we simply don't have a recording of them. So those, that's the indigenous part of the record. In terms of um, colonial settlers or um, European settlers who came here, we have uh, a, a very large acknowledgement or re record of itinerant speakers, that is women who were religiously inspired, who traveled around usually the Eastern seaboard, moving into, I guess, what was considered the West, Ohio and, and those areas, but speaking the they were divinely inspired and they would speak about re their religious calling and they would speak to uh, white audiences, to black audiences, to indigenous audiences. Sometimes they would go into prison populations, but of course their words by and large have been forgotten too. We know the names of a lot of these female speakers, but we don't have their recorded words. Very, very few of them that we have recorded and we know about and the ones that we have <laughs> I've championed and tried to put a spotlight on. Well, you write about how much has been lost um, and how little was recorded and published, and it's crushing. Why have women's speeches been so ignored um, and left out of our history? And what are the factors that contributed to this loss? Well, I think there's a number of ways to answer that. But the big answer, of course, is that the powers that created our history, the people, the historiographers, I guess you would say, weren't really very interested in women and what women had to say. For much of our history, and I mean our collective history, we have thought about the narrative, the creation of the narrative, as a story about people in power, positions of power, meaning governmental power, legislative power, religious power, military power, maybe constitutional power. And by and large, that didn't include women. And it really wasn't until the movement that arose in the 1960s or 70s, social history, that, that we came to more fully appreciate that history was not just a recording of what people in, in positions of authority and power did, but a collection of all humanity or a reflection of all humanity, people from all strata of humanity. So that was one one big piece of it. They just didn't think women didn't have official power, so they didn't care what they had to say. But there's a number of ways to think about it. And another one is I would I would ask you to think about this. Suppose a woman did speak. 
suppose a woman gave up in front and stood up in front of an audience and spoke, whether it was a religious context or some reform advocacy that she was promoting. Um, was there someone there to record it? Was there a stenographer there? Was it an official gathering that had hired a stenographer to come? <laughs> Probably not, unlikely. Or was there a journalist? Did an editor send a journalist to cover it? If not, if there was no journalist there, then no one was writing down what the woman said. If no one wrote down what she said, then her words were not recorded, that they were not transcribed in the newspaper the next day. There weren't any, even any quotes from her. Then, of course, some years later, along come the anthologists. They're creating anthologies of the greatest speeches, and we have no recordings of her speeches or their speeches. Then, of course, we have the history books, and now uh, we have all forms of media. And these women's voices have just vanished because there was no one to record them and then amplify them or or uh, repeat them through the various means that we have to to record voices and and acknowledge them and share them. Until you. So tell us how a speech or um, testimony or preaching um, to to a group of people in this in spoken word is different and distinct. Um, what about it is so powerful in its ability to persuade and to to compel and to energize? Uh, people versus the written word. Well, oh, that's a, that's really a very interesting question. You know, I've been involved in the public speaking world for a long time, and there is something very profoundly, I would say, powerful about the spoken word. When, of course, it's a venue that is, it's a situation that is one to many. You're giving a message that one person's giving a message that reaches many, but that also is true of the written word. Of course, when you write, many people are reading it. But when you speak, when you stand in front of an audience and speak, and when your physicality is involved, your body and your facial motions and your gestures are all part of the package of the message that you're conveying, that is uniquely powerful and profound. And the there is a conversation that takes place between the speaker and the audience in the most successful instances that is irreplicable, <laughs> meaning that it's not the same as the written word. And with the written word, something internal happens inside of our head. We might hear it and reflect on it and think about it. But with the spoken word, there is a kind of electricity that takes place. And of course, because of that physicality, women were, were more vulnerable than men, because we know there's a very long history of women's physical being's perceived as more vulnerable and more subject to criticism. So every time a woman stood up in public, whether it's a 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, she was making herself vulnerable in a way that is very different from the written word. Right. And um, in recognition of, of just the triumph of what they had to overcome um, to do this, um, I love your detail. Um, uh, about um, Shirley Chisholm coming through the neighborhood, um, screaming um, that she's the fighting. The fighting Shirley Chisholm is is coming. Um, how did you choose? I mean, because you you have, have have steeped yourself in this, and you must be so fond of of each for so many different reasons. Um, how did you choose the seventy five? With difficulty. <laughs> People often ask me, the most, the most common question that I get is, what's your favorite speech? 
And of course, I never answer that question because my favorite speech is always, without exception, the one that I just happened to uncover yesterday or this week and add to the collection because each speech that I find opens up an entire world of contextualized history of, of a unique person in time making an impact. So there is no favorite. My favorite actually is the whole collective narrative and the trajectory, the um, the accumulation of the argument that women's voices have been present and influential. So you asked me how I chose them. I just started out with an Excel spreadsheet and I put the earliest one in there, which I had um, the earliest recorded voice in American history, which is Anne Hutchinson in 1637. She had the audacity. She was in the Puritan colony in Boston, what's now Boston. And she had the audacity to speak on religion to a mixed audience, to men and women who would come into her home. And for that, she was banished. She and her family were banished from the Puritan colony. So she's the first one. So I started with her and then I just started adding them. And of course, in the first, you know, 150 years, there were slim pickings. Yeah. There weren't that many to choose from. But as we move into the 1870s, 1880s and 1890s, then it got to be a much more crowded field. And I had a very hard time picking. And I could easily, easily have made a volume with 100 speeches or 150 speeches or even 200 speeches and not feel as though I were watering down the content or the impact in any way. You ask whose voices should define who we are, Um, which means as Americans, we don't know fully who we are. Um, How do you hope that this record will alter our, our national story? Well, it alters our national story in a way that's very hard to go back from. Once you your eyes have been opened, once you see the the historical record and the truth of the existence of women's voices and contributions to our national debate, to our institutions, to our ideals and our cultures and our beliefs, then it becomes impossible to see the sweep of American history in the same way. It becomes impossible to understand the agency, the human agency that contributed to who we are. And you talk about in the book about, you wrote speech creates change in ways often impossible to measure. Um, Through what you've learned, how, through your study and your research, how would you advise women to think about public speaking um, or even presenting in small settings? Well, I believe that, uh, From what I have learned, I see that change is incremental. Many of us feel a tremendous sense of impatience. We look around the world and we see so many large problems that seem intractable, whether it's governance or climate or environmental related or human rights. And we think that these problems are insurmountable. But if you look at history and you look at the full range of history, you see that 100 years ago or 200 years ago, people thought the same thing. People thought that they could, we could not overcome these um, irreconcilable problems. Just look at the debates, look at the situation before the Civil War. For two decades before the Civil War, many people were desperate to uh, to prevent the war, the, the conflict that they could see coming. And they tried every means possible and were unable to stop the war. 
But what you understand, if you if you look back and see how history unfolded, is that the language that they used and the arguments that they made did have an impact. They did have an impact. They rallied more people to the cause. They changed people's points of view. They laid the groundwork. They planted the seeds of change so that even when you don't see the action that you hope for, even when you don't see a radical shift in our institutions or in behavior, the ideas are in the universe and they are influential. I have to ask you the dreaded social media question because in my view, it's changed everything. I love watching speech. I love listening to it. I enjoy making them. Um, I love this whole topic. I love this conversation. I, I agree with so much of what you, you've, you've been saying. Is speech making in your view less influential now that we don't gather around a nightly news where we would hear universally about a powerful speech as when we were growing up, that my children are Generation Z and they only know about something if it comes across their feed, they gather less in person, they gather online, they don't speak to each other as much as they text. Um, I'm just fascinated in what you think has become of the import and, and, the, and the influence of speech making, um, given how much has changed? Or do you think the advent of the internet because of things like TED Talks have inspired people to step up and, and, and believe in the power of the spoken word? And, and the internet obviously enables us to share that easily um, with people who might not have been in the same community listening to the same speech in person. I think that you answered the question in the asking of it. So yes, I agree with you. In general, content, all forms of content um, are diminished by the overwhelming deluge of content that we are all, are all exposed to and you might even say bombarded by every day. And with that sheer volume of content, every piece of it is going to be diminished. We no longer, you're correct, we no longer do summon an audience around the television to watch you know, this, the State of the Union or other addresses. But just look at the State of the Union. Just look at Biden's speech. That Just look at the speeches that Biden just gave in Poland and Putin gave uh, in Russia just yesterday, the day before. Speeches do matter. And that's because we still have a class of people, a, a class of, you know, educated and um, engaged audiences, people who are uh, engaged with the politics and issues of the day, who do listen and are influenced. Um, unfortunately, more people are scrolling through their feeds, looking at TikTok or looking at you know Instagram Live. But I still believe in the power of speech. And also, we are still a, a, a religion. We are still a nation that has faith. In general, there are still um, millions of people who who participate in a religion, in some kind of religious faith. And don't forget, they are listening to ministers or they're listening to religious leaders on a, a weekly basis, if not more. So I still believe in the power of the podium and the power of the spoken word. Donna, finally, what is your vision of the audience for this book? What do you hope um, to accomplish with the book? Well, of course I want um, women and girls everywhere to read it and men too. But in particular, my hope is that this book will be used alongside social studies 
course books, textbook, curriculum, history books. I want women's voices and the history of women speakers to be included in every course that teaches about American history. I want women and girls especially to know that we have a, a past of speaking of oratory that is accessible to us and can inspire and motivate us to use our voices and to speak up for the causes that we believe in and for the world that we hope to live in. Well, thank you so much for your work, Donna, and it's amazing. And thank you so much for this conversation. Um, this is the book again, but I want to remind everybody to access the database and hopefully build on it. Uh, the Speaking While Female Speech Bank with thousands of speeches from women around the world and across time. Um, it's a free resource and the largest online collection of women's speeches. And uh, hopefully it can be celebrated, uh, amplified and built upon. Thank you again, Donna. And thank you for joining us today on Real Clear Politics. Thank you.